0: I'd like to invite you to turn with me to John chapter 10. They're in the New Testament, and we'll pick up where we left off last week in our study through John's Gospel, and as we typically do, I'll read through it, at least the portion that we're going to study together, and then we'll ask for the Lord's help in two specific ways, first to understand it and then to obey it. But here's verse 1, John chapter 10. It opens with those two, the double true. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. For they do not know the voice of the strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And we'll go in and out and find pasture. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Father in Heaven, again with our Bibles open together on Sunday, as we are inclined to do, Lord, may we hear Your voice today. May You speak to us. May we know Your voice. May we follow. Lord, explain these things to us. Give us insight. Open them up to us as we've not yet seen or understood them. And then, Lord, we ask for the strength to be obedient to what we know to be true and where we know to be wrong. Thank you again for time together in your word as your people. We ask this in your name. Amen. Well, today's message is... Uh, probably should be, a good example of why some messages may sound and even feel different than other messages. Uh, I had that compliment, uh, I took it as a compliment, uh, last week, and, more, and then more from one source, that that sermon seemed different than some of the others. This one's going to seem different from that one. And the reason for that is, all proper sermons, that's my attempt should serve the passage that it's built on in other words the the passage itself governs the message not the other way around and when we're studying especially a book at a time where each week we begin where we left off the previous week those messages are going to change depending on the actual story as it unfolds from the Gospel of John and what we're gonna find this morning is uh, that this passage is different than the last one even structurally and this requires a bit of flexibility as you move through and week to week Uh, not all sermons um, should be three points in a poem and if that's the only trick you know then when you get to passages that don't suit a three points in a poem sermon it sounds broken, complicated, doesn't flow right and trying to put all those three points starting with the same word even makes it more difficult sometimes the passage is just listen understand and watch for the point that's made at the end that's similar to what we're looking at today we're going to find that uh, the most specific way to chapter 10 is different from chapter 9 and even chapter 10 You'll see it best if you have one of those red letter editions. It's mostly red. Where last chapter, 9, is not mostly red and chapter 11 not mostly red. So we switch from John telling a story about what Jesus did to Jesus himself, himself explaining what he did in the previous passage means and, what it, and how it applies or what it implies to others around it. All of what we're going to deal with today is based off of the last thing that was said in the previous chapter, in chapter 9. And that having to do with a miracle of, of all things. A chapter that doesn't have a miracle is going to sound different than a chapter, chapter that does, right? Everybody likes miracles. I'm not, none of us have ever performed one, so to read about one is, is exciting. There's even a bigger miracle in chapter 11. Or somebody's going to be raised from the dead. But in this case, he's just working out what came from the miracle that he performed in chapter 9. And all of this is for the purpose of explaining to the Pharisees that they're not tracking with Jesus. The very last thing that was said, are we blind too? And he talks about how if they could actually see that they were blind wouldn't be a problem but because they say they can see when they're actually blind they don't get the truth that he's telling then they're still guilty and he gives us the story of the good shepherd to explain what he meant by that sounds very hard and sometimes in illustrations the best way to explain something from your head in order to put that into the head of the other person without anything lost in translation and to make this more difficult if not just different, there's a challenge involved in today's passage. What Jesus says, what he's telling us, all those words in red, he's engaging the Pharisees by use of an an allegory, which is a a figure of speech. I like the way the ESV version actually puts it. If you look back there in verse 6, that's in black, right, if you've got a red letter edition. And you don't need to put too much emphasis on red letters. If the Bible's inspired, they're all equally as important. It's just the red letters help us know which ones Jesus is saying. But verse 6 is not, it's black. It's John telling us between what Jesus is saying, giving us kind of a backstage access. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So he's using a figure of speech, and the people that heard him when he said it live didn't get it. So we're listening to it 2,000 years or so later, and we're going to try to make sure we do get it. And that will be a chore. Let me tell you what a figure of speech is. It's amazing when we're studying the Bible how much we need to go back to the classroom, English class, right? Well, a figure of speech is an intentional deviation from ordinary language chosen to produce a rhetorical effect. What's a rhetorical effect? Well, it's part of rhetoric. Rhetoric is when you use your words persuasively or to motivate, to inform, perhaps even to be interesting. But it's, it's the use of play on words and comparing words with other words. Figures of speech vary the ordinary sequence or pattern of words where words are made to carry a meaning other than what they ordinarily signify. You might think, well, I don't know if I use that at all. You use it all the time. Maybe every day. Maybe already today. I'll give you some examples. Using words that have a meaning far as the dictionary goes but we use them in a way that has another meaning to say something completely different say it was raining this morning and you were told better get your umbrella or your raincoat because it's raining cats and dogs i've never seen a cat or a dog fall out of the sky that somebody didn't throw up there to start with <laughs> right but to say that implies that it's not just as light mist or even light rain or even moderate rain it's very heavy rain That's what that means. But you're using something that doesn't have anything to do with it to explain what it means. Uh, We could go on for a long time having a lot of fun with this. Uh, Especially the differences between, say, southernisms and northernisms. And how we usually don't get the other if we grew up in a place where we've never heard those things before. Uh, Not long ago, I I had heard one that I, I thought was particularly clever. It was describing a place... Within this state, um, a place not necessarily known for its advancements or its culture or polish. And uh, described this way, a place where a a seven-course meal would be a possum and a (laughs) six-pack. Now you, you get that, right? That's a figure of speech. And there's ways that you can use figures of speech to get in between words. Emotions, laughter, sentimentality, pain. There's all different types of ways that we can speak effectively. And it's very amazing, intriguing, Uh, wonderful. The way in which Jesus would use parables, stories, figures of speech. One of my favorites is this man who self-righteously asks, uh, after being told how to treat one's neighbor, he wants to know, well, who is a neighbor? Because if I can just catalog all the people that are my neighbor, then I can treat them that way, and I can write off the rest of the world that's not my neighbor. And then we're given the story of this good Samaritan. And at the end of that story, the question was, who was he neighbor to? Because those guys weren't neighbors. So it's more important that you be a neighbor rather than figure out who's a neighbor to you. He did that with a figure of speech. So to answer these Pharisees who are blind to the truth that he's telling, but they think that he's telling lies, and he's actually crazy or demon-possessed, he's trying to tell a person who thinks they see that they're actually blind. And that can take some doing. And that's what we see in this passage here. So our task this morning is to understand what Jesus is saying by his figure of speech directed at Pharisees to address their spiritual blindness, and on top of that, a figure of speech that they didn't understand once he had delivered it. wasn't that those concepts of shepherding and flocks and sheep were foreign to them, but that they could not or perhaps would not understand that Jesus was using this to paint a sharp Contrast, and antithetical contrast. There is a shepherd and then there's a thief and a robber. The two of them are completely different. There's sheep that hear the voice of their shepherd and there's sheep that don't hear the voice of their shepherd. So he's drawing opposites here. Very sharp distinction. His mission as the Messiah, his calling as sent by his Father, as opposed to the way that the Pharisees were handling the law of Moses and the tradition and all the do's and don'ts. What they would call their calling. Jesus is saying that it's night and day. One works and one's dead. And he uses this story to tell us. So what are we working with? We can make a list. If you like to mark your Bibles, you may want to circle some of these words. It, it, Jesus isn't being complicated here. And even though we're not Mid Easterners and we're not two thousand years ago. And we probably have in our idea of shepherding more like uh, what you might see in Ireland or Australia. Um, we'll have to think of it in an eastern way of having done that without the sheep dogs uh, and without the castle in the background in the picture, you know, in Ireland perhaps. Um, but here's what we've got we've got a sheep fold within these 10 verses. That's something with walls around it to keep the sheep inside. Then there's a door to that sheepfold. What it looked like, how big it was, we're not necessarily told. But it is a door, an opening. Then we've got thieves and robbers. We know what they are. We have a shepherd. And that's what Jesus declares himself to be. And then there's a gatekeeper. And uh, that one's a little harder to figure out who that might be. Some have said perhaps that's John the Baptist. Add to this things that are going on among what we've just mentioned. The, sh- the shepherd does some calling, which he uses by use of his voice. The hearing and recognition of the shepherd's voice by the sheep. And then we got this backward uh, thing that happens. The, the fleeing from the voice that they don't recognize. We've also got uh, following by the sheep. Once the shepherd is recognized by his voice. So that's about it. As far as the contents of the passage, there may be more. Depends on how detailed you want to be. But if we were to ask the question, okay, who is who and what is what out of that stack? The thieves and robbers are the Pharisees. That's clear enough, by the way, Jesus responds to them from the previous chapter's contents. The shepherd and the door are Jesus. He declares himself to be both. The sheep are the followers of Jesus. And the calling and following is the teaching of Scripture, his word, actually his father's words. And the obedience of the true believers that follow him in and out, and are saved, as we saw there at the last part. Now here's here's the uh, disclaimer, where often a sermon might actually need a timeout, because just like any other figure of speech, they are prone to misinterpretation. You ever used what you thought was a clever play on words, only to find out you've just insulted <laughs> the person you said them to? Without even meaning to. Or you're at a party and you have a joke. And some get it. But there's a few with this look on their face. There's a problem there in the interpretation process. Because there is the literal definition of those words used. And then there's the play on those words that you hope to be the vehicle of what you actually want to say. That's smart or clever or funny or or maybe even an insult. But it's not captured that way because of a, a too woodenly uh, use of interpretation. We can do this in scripture all the time. If we want to go do course studies on what a door in the ancient Middle East was made out of. Because there's plenty of commentators I think work too hard to try to reconcile. Well Jesus said he's the shepherd. Well no he said he's the door. Well which is he? Can you be both? A door's made out of wood. Well, okay, maybe he's using a door made out of wood to talk about characteristics that he is himself. Like, like, we talk about people being tough as nails. We don't mean they're made out of nails. You see what's going on here? So I've heard others that'll say, well, in that culture, sometimes there wasn't a door. And the shepherd actually lay down across the opening. He was the door. That's good too. But does that do damage to what he's saying? Maybe, maybe not, because I think it's more about access, in and out, authority, who can come in, who can come out, who can't come in at all. So we'll have to be careful with these things and make sure that we don't too woodenly try to interpret these or or take the figurative language past the boundaries over into literal land where the figure of speech doesn't belong. So let's split our time between the two I am statements. First, we'll talk about a shepherd for the sheep. And then we'll talk about a door for the sheep. Because the sheep seem to be connected to the two. Jesus is a door and he is the shepherd. And both of those have to do with his relationship to sheep. So here it is, just to read it through again one more time. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, this man is a thief and a robber, but he who enters into the door is the shepherd of the sheep. So you have a real shepherd and then you've got those who have no shepherding credentials. They're thieves and robbers. Many Jews owned a sheep, uh, a sheep or sheep, plural. Um, They would use these for a lot of things. They would... They would eat them, they would wear them, um, all different sorts of uses. They often kept them in a shared sheepfold, especially the ones that lived inside of a walled city. The sheepfold might actually be outside the walled city. And they would hire a shepherd, actually a concept of an under-shepherd that we talk about in church context. And this shepherd would watch them all, but the owner of the sheep, which would be that sheep's true shepherd would do well if he would speak to them and name them. And it was possible to go to a sheepfold full of everybody's sheep and call just yours out by the sound of your voice that they know. This is something that you can read about. It's, it's the way that things are done even today. Um, as far as we go, it's kind of a stretch. You may be wearing a sweater. This suit's made out of sheep It's wool. Or you may enjoy a good kebab. But I doubt you saw many sheep this week, or shepherds, or have any idea how they do their thing. You know, we've got things we do they don't know anything about. So we'll have to make sure we are true to what's being told here by the people who are telling it. A shepherd would be hired. He'd call their names. He could call them out he would actually be the only one with lawful authority to come in and to go out as far as the access to the sheep other than the gatekeeper who was employed to do that as well and others who might try to enter the fold some other way would be a thief or a robber have you ever got locked out of your car and needed to remedy that yourself you don't really look like you own that car when you're breaking the window Climbing in and retrieving your key and starting it up. Uh, when I worked for the Ford dealership in, in Yanceville, that was part of the things that we would provide was lockout service. And uh, sometimes we'd drive over to the, the, the fair when it would meet there. People did that a lot. But there was this aluminum uh, clipboard with a lid on it, just like the, the old state troopers used to have, all dented up and everything. And you had your forms in there with the white copy and the red copy and the yellow copy. And you have to press real hard. And in there was a waiver where if we tear up your car trying to get into it, it's on you, not us. But also part of this was a signature. I do own this vehicle. And uh, it can get kind of... You've got to have proof. So these folks don't have the authority to be in the sheepfold if they don't own the sheep or can call them by name. That's what's what's being said. We understand that type of thing. Verse 3, To him the gatekeeper opens. He has authority. To him the lockout service will use the little blow-up bag and the wedges and open your car for you. The sheep hear his voice. He calls the sheep by name. There's a relationship there. When he's brought them in and out before them, they follow him for they know his voice, stranger they won't follow because they know better. That's the voice of a stranger. So not only does the shepherd have legal authority over the sheepfold, he also has the right to exercise care over the flock. No thief or robber has the right to manage the flock and they wouldn't want to care for them anyway. They would be there to fleece the flock or eat the flock. Um, I don't know if any of you have ever owned chickens, but uh, those snakes and foxes don't go through the door. They sneak in. They don't knock on your door and say, hey, I'd like to eat your chicken eggs. Would you spare a few? No, this is done by illegal measures. It's a good way for a snake or a fox to get shot or stomped or hoed. Anyway. What does this mean to us? We're trying to take what was and what Jesus is telling these Pharisees and first understand what he's saying to the Pharisees, but ultimately understand if there's any of that that fits us as well. Uh, What the Pharisees would have known, and everybody else that was listening, that there are passages in the Old Testament like Jeremiah 23. Just listen to this. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away. You have not attended to them. You've, you're no shepherd. Behold I, will to your flo- uh, behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds. That's a play on words. That attending is not the same use both times, is it? One is supposed to be care the other's punishment. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. I will bring them back to their fold. They shall be fruitful and multiply. I will set shepherds. That's plural. So Jesus is the true shepherd, but there is such a thing as under-shepherds, qualified leaders within the church, to shepherd according to the Word of God. I'll put them over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall any missing, declares the Lord. So, Jesus is saying, you haven't done your job. You're not good shepherds. You're, you're more like thieves and robbers. You've wounded my sheep. They don't follow you. So, in contrast, the Pharisees were not what Jesus is. Jesus is the true authority over his people. Pharisees thought they were. What had they done in chapter 9? They excommunicated that poor boy only for being healed on the Sabbath because the man who healed him spit on the ground and that was against the rules. Jesus is saying that that's that's not care for the sheep. Alright, here's probably the best place to just try to flip the switch from wasness to isness. What does this mean to us? The Pharisees were were we told that they heaped up burdens too heavy to bear, that they strained out gnats and swallowed camels, that they were hypocrites. Oh man, he called them hypocrites all the time. Whitewashed tombs. But Jesus, the good shepherd, is no longer on this planet. When he left this planet, when he ascended into heaven, his... Disciples, we'd later in the book of Acts refer to as apostles. Some would be added to that, the Apostle Paul. They'd need to cast lots and add one more. Uh, all that was delegated first off to them. We'll call that their Great Commission. It's very plain. Teach others what I have taught you. Nothing was said about, hey, you're smart guys. Some of you have gifts. You're clever. You just go tell them whatever you think is best to spend your hour together on. No. You teach them only what I've taught you. It's a restricted list of things. Those apostles handed that over to the church. None of the apostles are here. John, that wrote this, is gone. And through the book of Acts, we see how that was handed down to faithful men who would promise under God to preach the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Uh, To guard the deposit. That's what the pastoral letters to Timothy and Titus are about from Paul. So, who has authority to care for the sheep? The elders of the church. And when are they disqualified? When they don't measure up to what God commissioned them to, it's it's not complicated. Question is, maybe this will help us flesh this out. Can we tell the difference in a true shepherd and a thief or a robber? Should be able to. Sometimes it's hard. How, how was it described as a wolf in? Sheep's clothing. There are ways to disguise oneself. Snake in sheep's clothing, maybe not so much. I don't know that it'd look a little weird. Costume wouldn't quite fit. But a wolf in sheep's clothing. How do you tell? Best places through the preaching. Either you recognize the voice of the good shepherd through the under shepherd. Or you don't. Somebody thinks that he's qualified to hold hostage a group of people for an hour or so on Sunday and talk only about what he thinks should be done here, there, or wherever, which only amounts to opinions or jokes. He might get good ratings for comedy or easy to listen to or fun or whatever else. He's a robber and a thief. And a good shepherd will warn the flock about a robber and a thief. And sometimes they start out a, a good under-shepherd. and They lapse into thievery and robbery. A good church can pull them back out of that. Authority over the leadership is actually handed to the congregation of the church. It's a system of checks and balances. But we can tell a lot just by what comes out of the mouth. Then there's the other side of this. There's the sheep. What does this tell us about the sheep? The sheep know the shepherd's voice and they follow him. What does that say about those who claim to be Christians today? Not everybody who claims to be a sheep is actually a sheep. I think we'd all buy that. But how do you know the difference? Well, the real ones follow the shepherd. Right? It's not rocket science here. Some sheep wander off. Some sheep follow. So are you saying that a real sheep is always at church every Sunday? Maybe not. But that's where the rest of the fold is. At least once a week to get together try to make sure we know what it is to be a sheep, how to be a sheep. Be a good sheep. How to act. All that stuff. It's like cutting class or skipping meals. That's where you get fed. It's how you grow. I want to be a stunted growth, ignorant, dumb acting sheep. Nobody says that. Their parents might ask them. The pastor might wonder. But nobody ever says that. But, but you can tell. Do they really know the voice of Jesus. Can they tell the difference in a sermon or a devotion? And, and sometimes it's strange how it happens. You're just doing your thing as a Christian. You're sitting in service. The guy's you know, Charlie Brown's teacher. You know what I mean by that. And then all of a sudden something comes over you and you get what you've needed. As if it was prescribed, tailor-made for you. You know you're hearing the voice of God. It doesn't matter how long the thing goes. You're being fed. You can't have enough. And you can't shut up about it later. You've heard the voice of your shepherd who made you. Sometimes people go around trying to get that out of an under-shepherd. He didn't make you. He's your brother. He knows some of this stuff. And if you'll give him time, and he does his job, he'll be giving you the voice of the shepherd, and when you hear it, you'll know it. You can fill a church like that. Some churches are empty because there's no voice of the shepherd there. The Under shepherd isn't doing his job. He's probably a thief or a robber. You know, there's a lot of other voices in our culture too, as busy as it is. It's a lot to distract a sheep, even a real one. But you've got to be careful. Analyze the sound of that voice. Is it worth your time? Is it worth your trouble? Is it right? I mean, you just name it. There's so much stuff that you could be doing. That's why I'm impressed with a group that would want to study on on Monday night. Or to go to BSF. Or to volunteer in Iwana. I mean, we've got enough around the clock here that we could ruin your life at home if you did it all. Don't do it all. But do it enough. Because the voice of God is in some of those things. More some than others. We got so much stuff. I, the other day somebody was talking about something else they got. And uh, I'm old enough to learn now that with more toys is more trouble. You got property tax on toys. Kids don't. You grow up, you, good toys have property tax. And it's been said before, more money, mo' problems. You got to watch that. There is a way to trade gold for dirt. Spiritually speaking. And when we make that trade, we only wind up making ourselves poor. Good sheep know their voice. Know the voice of the shepherd. They trust what he says and they do those things. They wouldn't lock themselves into something that would qualify as leisure or entertainment or a hobby or fun. If it set their schedule for the next... So long and, and, and had jurisdiction over all their time. Even their Sundays. Got to watch that stuff. There's more I could say here. And there's probably ways I could ruin the sermon by doing so. But we need to know the voice of our shepherd. And we do know when the sheep are listening. Because the result is their following. Now, that was number one, the the shepherd for the sheep. The second one only takes a couple of minutes. That is, Jesus is also a door for the sheep. So Jesus said to them, verse 7 Truly, truly, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and they may have it abundantly. So what's he saying here? Well, this is actually a prelude to another thing he's going to say in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's as clear as crystal. So to get mixed up shepherd, door, whatever else. He's just telling you the access point to his Father is him alone. To get into the sheepfold of heaven. You won't get through. By the law of Moses or, the, or perfect obedience as, 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 as described by the Pharisees or any other religion. This is, this is where we have the most trouble socially when it comes right down to it. And we're in John 10, we're going to be reading over things that are going to theologically imply all sorts of things. Including letters in uh, acrostics uh, held uh, by reformed theologians. Specifically things like limited atonement. Whatever does that mean. Divides a lot of people. But nothing divides people any more than a God who says, If you don't come through me, you're separated for eternity in a place called hell. That's the thing that everybody trips over. The hell part. The reason why they trip over it is because they don't believe they're worthy of it. Which is spelled out in Genesis. Very early. It's sin and we did it. Now we owe for it. God's going to demand the price. But Jesus has decided to come to this earth and jump in front of that bullet. Take it himself. All the punishment. So that we could be forgiven. And if we're forgiven, then we don't owe that as far as death. But it only works if Jesus is the only way. He didn't die so you could have faith in anything else. He had faith so that you or died so you'd have faith in Him. And folks, the reason why this is so offensive to people is because there's no options. How many of you like options? Do you like to choose this shirt? And it comes in the lovely color of black, and that's the only cover. You want to choose this one? Or would you like black or red or green or purple or sparkly or what how many of you like options I love options to an extent I think we can have options coming out our ears It's another figure of speech there (laughs) earwax is not options (laughs) in fact with my kids um, I'm not a fan of giving every kid an option as to what they want for dinner that night I'm married to their mother who has to cook that stuff so I'm of the opinion that the king in the house gets to say what it is work closely with the queen here <laughs> this isn't a, a, a dictatorship right and then that's what's served and you eat it and I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll be kind if you don't like it you don't have to eat it today We'll just wait until you get a little more hungry, right? So, with options, sometimes we get to where we feel like we've we've got some pretty big britches, right? The more options we've got, the more flexibility we've got, the bigger shot we can become. And that's sometimes why the more options we've got, the harder it is. Jesus said this over and over again, to come through the humility necessary to say, I'm flat out wrong, and flat out broke. You do this for me or it won't get done at all. We like options. And what's crazy is that it's almost like the Pharisees were playing the opposite game. They had so many rules. It was almost like they had a better option to be righteous having so many rules to choose from to do right and to actually just be ugly to everyone else who didn't. But remember, here's how we kind of sort all this out. This is a figure of speech given to answer the question, are we also blind? That's what ended chapter 9. The story was about a man healed physically blind, but then it was all about people who could see and who couldn't see the truth. The Pharisees couldn't see the truth, and they ask, are we blind too? And Jesus, through this story, has said, yes, you are. You don't have to be. But you are. And in America it's the same thing. There are lots of blind shepherds and there are lots of blind sheep. Maybe not so far from here. But if the qualified under-shepherd works for the Lord. Who does the thief and robber work for? They don't think so, but they do. Look at verse 10. And here's where we'll get our last little piece to take home with us. The thief comes only to steal and kill. He did that in a garden. And we don't know why he was allowed in. But that's what he did. And he's been destruction has been behind him in the form of a wake ever since. So this is a figure of speech of contrast, right? I came... That they may have life. That's the opposite of death. And have it abundantly. That's kind of the opposite of destruction. Now what does it mean when the man who created the whole world says life abundantly? Now you ask a hundred people, what is the meaning of life? They might tell you a hundred different things. And we joked about this weeks ago. People who like to take their hobby and then put the word life in front of it and then stick that on their truck somewhere, right? Right? I enjoy the beach, I don't enjoy hunting. I enjoy the lake. You know there, I, I, How many times have you seen it? Salt life, lake life, woods life. Um, and I've seen people with their occupation, line life. I've seen that a guy up on a telephone pole. Would you not agree that the man who invented life for this planet by taking part of it from himself? And breathing it into the nostrils of a piece of clay, they then became a living being. I'd say he should deserve the right definition in Merriam-Webster as to what life is. And I don't know that you need very many words to use. Life, in its essence, is probably suitable. Right? Life for living. But then he uses the word abundantly which is a modifier which should supersede any of the other stuff that any robber or thief should try to turn your head with right if he's the way the truth and the life that life's not just life it's abundant life and that's the recipient of the good shepherd because the shepherds who hadn't done their job they'd scattered the sheep (coughs) And really, if they worked hard, who were they working hard for? Themselves. In contrast, you've got Jesus. How did he work hard? Came to this planet. Laid down on a cross voluntarily. And gave it all to you. Gave it to you until there was nothing left. That's the difference. This figure of speech is a huge contrast And I think it's a good one. I think it it lays it all out. And anybody with eyes to see says exactly, yep, that's it. Life to be lived is for the sheep who enters the gate. The gate known as Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time to study your word. Time to understand it. Lord, give us grace, strength. Resolve commitment to obey it give us the grace to take this and tell others what these things mean folks who look at it but it isn't quite in focus yet Lord maybe for the person whose series of events other things other people have said Lord maybe they're thinking in ways they've never thought before but perhaps they hear your voice now They're making a decision as to whether or not to follow. Lord, bring them home. Give them that abundant life. Take care of them. Give them a sense of belonging. Lord, thank you for this church family who in so many ways reflects those qualities because we like to think that we're a church that's tied together by the Good Shepherd. Lord, thank you for time together under the sound of your voice, through your word. And now, Lord, as we wrap up this service and sing our benediction, use the imagery of the words to awaken things in our mind and in our heart. And then send us home with those that matter most. And we'll say it's been a good day. I ask all this in your name. Amen.